Now, the rest of us, why don't we grab our Bibles? Do you have your Bibles today, either old school or new school? Okay. First Samuel chapter 15 today. By the way, uh, to let you know, there, there are some uh, treats, there's some goodies there in the uh, lobby once you leave here today. So we encourage you to grab some. Esther uh, did so great in, in preparing those for us today. So thank you, Esther. And uh, they, I haven't had one yet, uh, or three, uh, but uh, I have intentions. So um, let's get to the Word of God. I want to share a message today entitled, Most of God's Word. Most of God's Word. We are in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15. 1 Samuel, chapter 15. It's right before 2 Samuel. 1 Samuel, chapter 15. And we're going to uh, take a look at an interesting story about King Saul. King Saul was the very first king that was anointed to be king for the people of Israel. Uh, that relationship was at times tumultuous, at times challenging. And we find ourselves now with a very interesting story in regards to King Saul. And it actually brings out what I believe is a bit of a danger when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's one thing to obey a command completely. It's another to obey a command kind of or partially. And that's what I'd like to speak about here today. So if you're able to, would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read this together? Now hang with me. We've got quite a few verses to read, but uh, you'll, you'll get the whole context as we take a look at this. So let's start in verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 15. It says, one day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of his, own peop- of his people, Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go, follow this verse 3, now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. So Saul mobilized his army at Tilium and There were 200,000 soldiers from Israel and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul and his army went to a town of the Amalekites and and lay in wait in the valley. And Saul sent this warning to the Kenites, uh, move away from where the Amalekites live or you will die with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up from Egypt. So the Kenites packed up and left. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah, all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs. Everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. And then the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. For he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. Early the next morning, 
Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. And then he went on to Gilgal. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear, Samuel demanded. It's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, the goats, and cattle, Saul admitted, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. And then Saul, uh, Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, and you, uh, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? That the Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. And then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, what's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the God, he, of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I've sinned. I've disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you since you've rejected the Lord's command. He has rejected you as the king of Israel. What happens when we obey most of God's word? Jesus, would you speak to us today? Speak to us. And meet us right where we're at spiritually, Lord God. And I pray that you would lead us in the way that leads to everlasting. And so, Jesus, we want to be more like you. So show us what it takes to do that. Speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, and we all said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Most of God's word. If there is a chronic problem that I have witnessed with many who belong to the church, with a lot of people who have been a part of a church, they profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. It's this. We are very good at obeying the parts of God's word that we like and not obeying the parts of God's word that we don't like. Are you with me so far? And, and it's, it's, we, we embrace having ourselves right where we need to be spiritually as far as don't, uh, don't commit murder. I dare say that few of us in here, if any, have struggled with that in at least the last two, three hours. And, and, and it's easy, it's easy to obey the commands that will promise us a blessing. It's easy to obey the parts of God's word 
that quite frankly are just simpler to obey. But what happens when we think that our way might actually be better than God's way? What happens when we might even listen to the advice or watch the example of somebody who obeys most of God's word instead of obeying it completely? I want to expose that today and and warn you that if you're caught in this trap, that it's not going to lead you to a happy ending. In fact, it's going to lead you to destruction unless you can get a handle on that, unless you could do what God wants you to do about it. And we're going to cover that today. But let's break this whole passage down real quick into just four parts here today if we can do so, okay? Number one, let's take a look once again at the command. Let's look at the command. And we see this in verse (laughs) 3. And it's pretty straightforward. Take a look at verse 3 again. It says this, Now go and completely, everybody say completely, completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation. And then he gets even more specific. This is from God through Samuel to Saul. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, donkeys. Basically, God is saying nothing remains. Nothing. Now, how many of you know this is a straightforward command? Guess what? All of God's commands are straightforward. (laughs) You know, what, you know what Samuel did not tell Saul? Okay, now Saul, here's God's command. So I want you to think about it. I want you to study it in the original Greek. Maybe find a good book about killing donkeys, okay? There, it's out there. It's out there. It's on the internet. There's probably a YouTube video about it. And, and, and then let me know what you think, okay? Let me, that's not what Samuel said, okay? Samuel said, okay, this is God's command. Okay, now do it. And I think we have made (laughs) obeying Jesus a little bit more difficult than what it needs to be. I think we have. Uh, God says this, let's obey it. God says don't do this, let's avoid it. And the problem is when we start twisting things and we start thinking we might do something different, But look at the screen. This is important for you to know. God will never command us to do something that we are unable to do. Never. Never. You will never find one command in the word of God that you yourself cannot do with the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. Never. He will never lead you. You will not find an example in Scripture where God said, okay, my servant, my child, do this. This will be fun. Watch him. Let's watch him just crash and burn. That's not what God does. And he won't do that with you. And please, I'm not talking about receiving some special revelation from God. I'm just, let's just look at the basics of God's word. Let's, let's get this down first. Some of you want to hear from God and you want to get these special revelations from God. Fine. But let's get this down first. That was a really good place to say amen, by the way. 
Because if we can't obey what's in the scriptures, how in the world do you expect God to take you deeper? Amen? So God, through Samuel to Saul, that's how God operated, by the way. He had prophets and judges, and they would communicate the word in the Old Testament, God's commands. And so this is straight from God. And it gets simple, straightforward, albeit it would take some work. How many of you know killing takes work? Okay, I know this. No, I'm kidding. I don't know this. <laughs> I've seen too much true crime on TV. <laughs> hey, honey, let's relax and see what someone did to murder somebody. Um, but no, this command, it took work, right? But it was not impossible. All he had to do was obey. But then we go from the command to, number two, a compromise. And this is where we get in trouble. This is where we get in trouble. Now, I heard y'all yell the word completely, correct? So nothing was supposed to be left standing. Nothing was supposed to be left breathing, living. No, nothing was supposed to be taken back as a trophy or a reward or an offering or anything, correct? Correct? Now, look, starting in verse 7. Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. So far, so good. There you go, Saul. Verse 8, not so good. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, but he destroyed everybody else. Okay, this is a problem. Because God says even the king has to go. And Saul says, nah, I'll do it my way. I'll keep the king. In fact, I'm not going to stop there. Verse 9. Saul and his men spared Agag's life, and they kept the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle and the fat calves. That sounds like a rock band. Hey, man, where the fat calves were playing. <laughs> Visit our merch table, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was bad. It, just, it tickled me when I read it. Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs. Everything, in fact, they kept everything that appealed to them. That's a key phrase. They kept everything that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. So what they were supposed to destroy, if it appealed to them, they kept it. How many times are we guilty of doing that? You see, this thing called sin, it's something that we have to crucify on a regular, I'd say, daily basis, maybe some of us an hourly basis. But we got to nail some of this stuff to the cross. Those areas that we struggle with, those areas that appeal to us, like, there, listen, there are some things in this world that do not appeal to me whatsoever. So I'm not going to go there. I'm not. I'm not wired that way. It's not tempting to me whatsoever. But here's the problem. I do have certain temptations what are they? It's none your business. <laughs> I'm going to share that online. 
But there are areas in my life that they're more tempting. They're appealing to me, and I'm not the only one. All of us have that. All of us have that. And so the problem is we are very much tempted to hang on to the things that appeal to us and get rid of the stuff that doesn't appeal to us, and we somehow justify it and say, I did good. I did good. I obeyed Jesus. I obeyed what the Bible said. I obeyed God's word. I did good. I got rid of the bad stuff. I'm not even messing with the bad stuff. How about the stuff that appeals to you? You see, Saul obeyed God's word mostly instead of entirely. And that's dangerous. That's where you will be defeated time and time again in your walk with God. It doesn't matter how many verses you can quote. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter what you're involved in. It doesn't doesn't even matter if you listen to five minutes with Phil every single weekday at 8 a.m. on YouTube. That's a selfish plug, kids. But it doesn't doesn't matter. All that stuff helps, but if we're still cherishing things that appeal to us, that God has told us to kill, we're going to get defeated. We're going to get defeated. And that's going to look different to different people. See, for Saul... There's a special trophy in having the king still living as his prisoner. For some of us, there's a special trophy that appeals very much to us that if we just hang on to it and still call ourselves a follower of Jesus and still convince ourselves that we're obeying God, then we won't feel like we have to do anything else about it. In fact, that leads me to number three. We saw the command of the compromise, but take a look at the cover-up. See, this is, <laughs> this is the problem. Because not only do we fall into a trap of obeying God's word mostly, partially, but then we tend to cover up our disobedience. Want to look again at how Saul did it? Let's start in verse 12. Early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul. Someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. I'm going to get to that in a little bit, by the way. (laughs) Then he went on to Gilgal. Verse 13. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's commands. Then what's all the bleeding of the sheep and the goats and the lowing of the cattle, I hear Samuel demanded. Can you imagine? Samuel, how are you? I obeyed all the commands. (laughs) (laughs) Samuel said, really? What's with the cows and the sheep? What is that that I hear? Verse 15, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep and the goats and the cattle, Saul admitted, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. 
but we've destroyed everything else. Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely, there's that word again, completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they're all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission that he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, the goats, and the cattle, and the plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Mm. You know how we tend to cover up those moments that we obey God's word partially, mostly? Let me show you. First of all, number one, we tend to reward our own ego. I, that verse, verse 12, struck me. Samuel, hey, where's Saul? Oh, glad you asked. He's building a monument Oh, to God? No, to himself. A big old statue. Saul statue over there. Gonna be a nice fountain. <laughs> Are you kidding? You know what happens? A lot of times when we obey God's word partially, do you know what tends to get in the way? Pride. We start building monuments to ourselves. We, we start lifting ourselves up instead of God. You want to do a great Bible study sometime? Look up the word humble in the scripture. There are so many commands of God's people to humble themselves. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You don't need to build a monument to yourself. God will take care of you. If my people who are called by my name will pray and seek my face and turn for their wicked ways. You missed one. Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. There's a lot to be said about humility. If you find yourselves kind of elevating yourselves, even in the midst, see, see, you know what troubles me about Saul here? He really came off super spiritual here. He really did. And this is the deal. There's a lot of people when they partially obey God's word, you know what happens? You get really super spiritual. In fact, you overdo it, trying to cover for your lack of obedience. Secondly, we tend to rewrite God's word. Remember that word completely? We've read it twice. Y'all yelled that at me a little bit ago. I asked for it. He was supposed to completely kill everything, everybody. But what did Saul 
say? Verses 13 and 14, and then again in verse 20, you know what he said? I did obey God's word. I obeyed God's word by capturing the king and keeping the good stuff and destroying everything else. Is that what God said? No, No, not in the least. God didn't say a word about bringing back sacrifices. God didn't say a word about taking the king hostage. God didn't say, or, or as a prisoner, God didn't say a word about any of that, but somehow Saul convinced himself that those actions were part of God's command. Saul convinced himself that his disobedience was actually obedience. And this I've seen. This I've seen way more times than I care to. In fact, it gets to the point where not only do we reward our egos, we set up monuments to ourselves, not only do we rewrite God's word, but then we tend to rationalize. We tend to rationalize. Oh, I, I know, I know I kept all the plunder, and I know I kept all those cows and goats and all that, and, the, and, and all that. I kept all that, but I was going to sacrifice them to God. To your God. And this is what happens. I crack up when people say, Pastor, I know you don't like us playing the lottery, but man, if I win, you're going to be blown away how much I give to the church. (laughs) 23 years, it's never happened. In fact, well, I'm not going to, I can't go down that rabbit hole. But we, we, we tend to rationalize our disobedience in such a way we, that we become over-spiritual, pride sets in, and then we don't think we need to change. I've had people look me in the eye And tell me, I think God's okay with me shacking up with my boyfriend or girlfriend. Because I think God wants me to be happy. Now, you know what you've done by that statement? You have rewarded your own ego because you can't get over yourself. You've rewritten God's word. Actually thinking he's going to be okay with adultery or fornication. And you're rationalizing it, thinking that your happiness is more important than obedience to God's word. I say this all the time. God will never want you to be happy at the expense of his word. But I really enjoy doing this sin. Well, duh. Of course, that's why it's appealing. Taking a king as a prisoner was appealing. Was it right? No. Maybe it made a good selfie on Instagram. Hashtag prisoner. But it wasn't God's word. So because Saul did this, There's a huge cost, a cost, and I want to close with this. 
I want to show you the cost of obeying God's word partially, even mostly, but not completely. Again, look at the scriptures. First of all, in verses 10 and 11, God said this, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king. For he's not been loyal to me, and he's refused to obey my command. Samuel so deeply moved when he heard this that he called out, cried out to the Lord all night. By the way, this is not in my notes, but this is a good lesson. If you do see somebody that you care about who is only obeying God partially or mostly, that is not the time for you to judge them, condemn them, or post about them on social media. That is the time for you to cry out to the Lord on their behalf. Do you hear me today? Samuel gives us such an incredible example there. But let me jump to verse 22, and I'm going to close. But Samuel replied, what's more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I've sinned. I've disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did, oh, look at that phrase again. I was afraid of the people, I'm going to get there, and did what they demanded. But now, please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you've rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as the king of Israel. Can I tell you the great cost that Saul Saul come upon his life as a result of his partial obedience. And by the way, 99% obedience is still 100% disobedience. <laughs> so what was the cost? Number one, God had regrets. Wow. God literally said, I regret even making this man king. That's scary to me. In fact, I think that's one of the saddest scriptures I could ever read. Was God having a regret about a calling that he has placed on my life or someone's life. How awful that must be. I don't want God to have any regrets about me. How about you? Secondly, Saul was rejected. God no longer wanted Saul in the role that he'd been in. God had a plan. But disobedience will shipwreck God's plan for you unless you get back on course. Thirdly, Saul was restrained. Saul said, yes, I've sinned. I've disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. Why? Did you hear it? I was afraid of the people. Do you know what will cause you to obey God's word partially? Worrying about the opinions of other people. You see, the king, the king, we're not talking Saul the plumber. If you're a plumber, I love you, okay? We're talking Saul the king. So this was not a common man. 
This is the king. And the king was afraid of the people. Worrying about the opinions of others, that will shipwreck you in your walk with God. It will totally cause you to make decisions that are not good. It will cause you to go places you should not go and do things you should not do and believe things that you should not believe. And a lot of it stems because we are more focused on the opinions of other people instead of the opinion of God. I'm not apathetic to people's opinions. I deal with people. I'm in the people business, I guess you could say. And if people don't like me, at times that stings. At times. Sometimes I don't care. But, but at sometimes it really bothers me. But do you know whose opinion I really want? I want God's opinion to be so favorable to me. Because there will be times that the only person I please in a particular situation might just be only God. And that is enough. And then Saul lost his reinforcements. Saul was in trouble. He said, Samuel, go with me. I need your support. And Samuel said, no, not this time. Obeying most of God's word will eventually make you the loneliest person you could ever be. Even the people whose opinion you were worried about, they won't stay with you. Because once you're chewed up and spit out, they will find another person to manipulate. And you'll be sitting there wondering, where are all of the people who care for me? This came as a great car. This was not just a whoops. Obeying God partially, there is some great cost to that. So what do we do? I think it'd be wrong for me to say, okay, goodbye, everybody. What do we do? How do we respond? If we find ourselves obeying God mostly or partially or some of God's word, what do we do? Jonathan, if you could help me. Now I'm really going to close. I've closed three times today, so. There's some things I want you to remember, okay? Number one, I want you to remember there's a process. There's something going on that you need to remember. <laughs> when, when we disobey God's word, when we, when we sin, you know what's going on? 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. How about that, ladies and gentlemen? You think, you think that Jesus is trying to send lightning bolts your way to, uh, let's nail her, she did this. Oh, let's give him a flat tire. Boo. That's not what he does. You know what he does? He is pleading your case to the Father. He loves you that much. We sang that song. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. 
He loves you that much that even when you fail, he pleads your case to the Father. Wow. There's a process. Secondly, there's a prayer. There's a prayer. If you back up about three verses from what we just read, 1 John 1, 9, says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, so Saul, you can get back on track today. You, you can ask God today, Lord, please forgive me. I confess this to you. I need to crucify those things that I have kept that appeal to me that I really need to get rid of. And so, Lord, I confess them to you. Now, the problem is a lot of us just stop there. But I'm going to be brutally honest as I close for the fourth time today. There's a price. There's a price. There's a price. Following Jesus will cost you something. Jesus said so in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. See, Saul, we're not here to hand out free heaven tickets today. What we're here to do is invite you Yes, pray a prayer, but pay the price. Follow him. Follow him. And it's his way more than your way. You know what some of you might need to do? Some of you might need to go. Some of you might need to go to the land of a million sign-up sheets out in the lobby and sign up for one of our discipleship courses. Why, why are we being so deliberate about following Jesus and the discipleship journey? Why are we doing this? Because this will help you to pay the price in your walk with God. We don't want to just send you out there and say, good luck, camper. We want to help you. We want to help you serve God. And when you fail, we'll be there to help pick you up. We want to help you get this right. And for too long, we've just sent people out and saying, well, I hope they make it. Not anymore. Not anymore. Now, now we're deliberate. We're going to say, okay, if we got some souls out there that are clinging to some things that appeal to them but have to be destroyed, then we need a way for them to make changes in their lives. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. So, Understand that if I describe you in any way, Jesus has been praying for you all morning. <laughs> Jesus has been pleading your case to his Father. Someone's talking about you, and it's Jesus. Would you pray to confess your sins to the Lord if that's you? But please don't stop there. Please, please don't, don't say some quick prayer and then do whatever you want to do for six days and then come in here to get cleaned up again. Let's, let's say, okay, God, I'm not only asking you for forgiveness, but I'm asking you to help me change. And I said this Wednesday night, the true mark of a move of God is not how high you jump or how loud you sing, but how much you've been changed. And if you'll allow God to change you, 
That's revival. That's a move of God. That, that is God's plan for you. Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, to the point where you look back and you say, I can't believe the person that I am now. Saul, hear me today. It's time to put to death those things that are tearing you down and holding you back. And it's time now to obey all of God's word. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me, please? I know we got to go. And thank you for your patience. Okay, but some of us need to pray that prayer now. Esther, can you flash that 1 John 1, 9 again? Thank you. Let's leave that up there. Some of this needs to take place. Okay, if you could do this, if you could do this, that's, the, that's not the end, it's the beginning. Okay, that's not, that's not the tape at the end of the race. This is the starting block. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, okay. So this is not the end of bad decisions. This is the beginning of good ones. <laughs> I should say this again. I literally have to be at, I got to be in Ravenna in 25 minutes, but I can't let this go. So you got to hear me today, okay? I don't know who this is for, but you got to understand that this is not the end of bad decisions. Confessing your sins is the beginning of good ones, new ones, following Jesus, doing things his way, not yours. No matter how you've been brought up, no matter how much we want to rationalize things, no matter how much we want to justify things, we will say, God, I'll obey you to the letter. That's what we need. And so some of us need to get on the starting blocks and pray this prayer. But then we got to go out and we got we to pay the price. Will you, will you pay the price of discipleship? Not having your way, sacrificing your way and saying, Lord, I'm going to carry my cross and trust me, that's not a necklace. I'm going to bear my cross. I'm going to carry my own cross. So I'm willing to give it all for you, Lord Jesus, if I have to. I will give it all, but I'll do it your way, not mine. So I'm going to give you a chance to pray. I'm going to give you a chance to pray, okay? And then the rest is up to you once you leave this place. Saul, God can change your life today. No matter, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, things can change today. So Jesus, I ask you now that you would meet with us. God, I sense your Holy Spirit here in a really powerful way. God, I believe that you're working on hearts and lives, whether they be in this room or online. God, I believe that you're working on hearts and lives in a strong way. I ask you, Jesus, that you would do that. In the mighty name of Jesus, we crucify those things that don't belong. God, in a few moments, we're going to confess those things that we have held dear, that appealed to us, but don't belong in our lives. God, we're going to confess those things and ask you to not only forgive us, but to take them away. But God, some of us, we need your strength and your Holy Spirit's power to walk from this place living for you completely. So God, I pray for an empowering by your precious Holy Spirit all across this room and all every room that's watching us right now online. God, whatever the case might be, fill every place with your Holy Spirit that we can walk in your spirit and do things your way. So Lord, lead us, guide us, Forgive us and change us. 
and I'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need to pray, feel free to do so at the altar, or maybe you could just pray at your seat, but let's make this a place of prayer, and then let's walk out of here in victory in the name of Jesus. God bless you. Let's seek him together.